entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf and today with our guest host, Jay Kelly Hoey. Along with Kelly and our executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guys on this learning journey. To learn more about Kelly, check out her website at jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. Okay, Kelly, let's get the conversation going. Thanks, Marty. This is Kelly, and I am thrilled. Well, I'm always thrilled to be a guest host on the Business Builder Show, but I'm really thrilled to have my pal, Lindsay Pollock, here. Um, For those who don't know Lindsay, she is a New York Times bestselling author. She's the leading expert on multi-generational workplace, uh, and she's the author of a brand new book, which you need to get your hands on. It's called The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in a Multi-Generational Workplace. Welcome to the Business Builder Show, Lindsay. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Okay. What the what? How many generations are running for president? I really did enjoy that line in your recent um, uh, Fortune post. Um, Enlighten us. Who's in the workforce right now and what should we know about them? You got it. So for the first time in American history, and I'll just focus on the U.S., There are five distinct generations in the workplace. So 20 years ago, we only had three. We had the traditionalist or silent generation, the World War II generation born before 1945. We had the baby boomers born 1946 to 1964. The Gen Xers like me born 1965 to 1980. What's been added since are the millennials, also known as Generation Y and certainly getting an enormous amount of attention since they came on the scene. They're born about 1981 to 1996. And now the Generation Zs were born 1997 and later. And just for the presidential question, I will say that in the Democratic primary, we have the widest range of people running for president uh, or for um, the nomination in history. Pete Buttigieg, the uh, mayor of South Bend, is the first millennial to ever run. He's 37. And Bernie Sanders is 77. So people 40 years apart are applying for the same job. And I think that is a real uh, microcosm of what's happening in the overall workplace. So uh, like you, I'm a a Gen X, barely, right there on the cusp of Boomer. And uh, you know what? Living in New York City and hanging out with a wide variety of people, I'm kind of feeling more Gen Z in my, you know, everyday (laughs) interactions. Why is comparing generations sometimes just not helpful? It's a really important question. And I want to be clear that it is not my intention that you should only judge people or consider people based on their age. You know, every millennial is not the same. Every Gen Xer is not the same. Generational identity is one of many, many ways we have to classify ourselves. The reason I find it helpful in a workplace context is that the times in which you grow up, and particularly I think the era in which you enter the workplace, 
I think has a really big impact on what your expectations are. So just to give two quick examples, if you're a baby boomer, you worked for 20 or 30 years before. So you probably have developed a lot of skills talking face to face, you know, writing, presenting that younger generations just don't literally have as many years having done. If you are a Gen Z, like many teenagers today and very early 20 somethings, you probably did not grow up with a landline phone. So you may have never answered a telephone that was not for you. Your job may be the first time you have ever answered a phone that wasn't a friend calling you, whereas many of us who grew up with landlines had to deal with phone calls from various people. So it is not that one age or group is better than another. It is not that we should say you have gray hair, so I know you're going to act like this. What really interests me is the skill sets that you have developed over time and your expectations for who will be working with you and what that work will look like. So it is one factor to consider in the workplace. It is not the be all and end all decision making tool you should use. I think that's really important to, to talk about. So important. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing too, because I'm thinking in the 1990s, I used to love to go to a friend's uh, grandmother's for dinner because she still had a rotary phone. And the technology at the time when I was a young lawyer was still um, like phoning in for your voicemail. And I couldn't do that at her house because the rotary <laughs> phone. And I just remember loving that. It's like I can actually get away from this thing that's chasing me and reminding me um, of work. Let's talk about your fabulous new book, uh, The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. Where can people find the book? Thank you. So it's available at your favorite bookstore or on Amazon. And you can always go to my website or any of my social handles, which are all under my name, Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-K. Perfect. Um, Can you give us an example of a successful career remix? Definitely. And and the remix, just to explain the title, is based on remix music. So that's where I got the idea. And a remix song, of course, is when you take a classic And you don't say the classic is bad or wrong or outdated or should go away, but you change it, you alter it, you add to it in some way to make it modern. So it's really important that you're not saying we should throw away the old ideas, but we need to modernize them and come up with combinations that are really unique. And I interviewed a bunch of DJs for the book, which was one of my favorite parts of writing it. And what they said was a little secret of DJing is when you have an empty dance floor at a party, a trick is to play a remix because the older people at the party know the classic and the younger people at the party know the new version. So you're including everybody and they can all dance and enjoy it together. So that's kind of the vision um, of a positive intergenerational workplace. And an example of that, I think, is the concept of reverse mentoring. So mentoring an older person or a more experienced person, uh, guiding, advising, you know, coaching a junior person is a classic. There's nothing wrong with that. It shouldn't change. It's great. What we can now add to it to modernize it is I know a lot of Gen X, Boomer, and traditionalist leaders who really want to understand the mindset of younger generations in order to help their own career and their own business. So they have a reverse mentor, which is a junior person who also gives them advice. Kelly, you know, I interviewed you on this topic for the book. So to me, the remix is not that the old way of mentoring should go away. You should absolutely have mentors who are older. But the addition or the remix is that you can also get advice from people who are younger. That's awesome. And and you know what? And you really hit on it too when you were talking about some of the different experiences that affect 
how what you know, like what do we bring into the workplace um and you know i would say talk about the social skills of the boomer you know traditional you know i want to say gen x generations what we bring into the workplace and i'm you know particularly thinking about a royal bank of canada study uh, on what are going to be the future jobs for particularly sort of gen z and beyond in the canadian marketplace and the title of the report was humans wanted knowing that there was such a massive deficit of, of i want to say soft skills social skills um and it's like you can pick up the technology but how do we how do we get those human skills again um what from what you know and you are the expert on this what makes an inter intergenerational team successful so I think it's what makes all teams successful, which is respect for people's diversity and inviting them to bring their their whole selves, their authentic selves to work, which means being able to say, you know, from my generational perspective or from my perspective as a woman or from my perspective as a marketing expert, here is what I think. So really creating an inclusive environment where everybody can speak up. Uh, on their own behalf and feel comfortable sharing their ideas. But I think one of the things that I've noticed more and more is really the importance of having really open, clear, transparent conversations about how people communicate. I think that when you work on a team of people who are all your same age, you can make some assumptions that everybody's going to want to email more or that you're going to have all your meetings in person. When you start to have multi-generational teams, you can't really make those assumptions anymore. And frankly, you probably never could because every individual has different preferences. Um, but I talk a lot about having what um, Michael Watkins of Harvard Business School termed the style conversation, which is literally saying, hey, Kelly and Marty, we're going to be working on this project together. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Do you prefer that I email you or should we set up Phone calls. Do you like me to pop into your office or should I make sure that I get on your calendar for an official meeting? So I think we have to be a little bit more deliberate and transparent about how the work gets done, just because there are now so many different ways of doing it that there really aren't rules of how best to work with people as there might have been in the older days when there were fewer different kinds of people in the workplace. You know, and fewer ways to deliver the work. I mean, yeah. when you, you sort of think, you know, God, I remember typewriters. I mean, like, seriously, when you sort of think like fax machines, like things where, you know, you had a, a technology barrier to how and when work could be delivered, you know, there was more of a, yeah, you need to get your butt in a chair in the office at 9 a.m. because, you know, how are we going to get this out the door? Or how are you going to make, I remember having to scramble to make the last FedEx delivery to get a, you know, draft prospectus out to clients so they could review it in the morning. Um, you know, it sort of seems funny now that we have PDFs. So that those, those technology, you know, structures, I also think you're really hitting on something too in terms of teams of, you know, why we need to talk to each other to understand because you're right, you know, we used to just make assumptions um, in terms of this is the right way to get work done. Um, and I, you know, one thing I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about, is it General Motors with their, you know, sort of taking 14 pages of a dress code and reducing it to one line or two words, dress appropriately. And um, part of that is so people have a discussion, like, you know, how does your work day look? What would be the right thing to wear on a particular day rather than having some silly long list that says, you know, don't wear crop tops or, you know, dirty shirts or whatever else was on their dress code I, I, in the past. <laughs> oh, 
I'm going to challenge you on that, though. I, I think we do have to be explicit because I was just at a, the Fortune CEO Initiative conference yesterday in New York, and we were talking about mission statements and values. And a word like appropriately, and I know you just kind of used it offhand, but a word like that can be interpreted a lot of different ways by a lot of different people, and, and particularly generationally. So I think if it's absolutely not okay for people to wear crop tops in your office, I, I kind of do think you need to say that. I think we need to be a little bit more explicit because because I work with a lot of teams as a consultant where, you know, the boss will say something like, Kelly, get in touch with Marty. That can be interpreted a lot of different ways. So if I mean for you to pick up the phone and call Marty, I think I need to be more explicit about that. So I'm all for simplification and, and trusting people to be adults. I really like the, you know, for instance, the dress for your day policy, which is, you know, we're not going to say every Friday is jeans, but be an adult and know that if you have a client meeting, you wear a suit. And if you don't, you can dress casually. But I think when there are really hard rules, I think we need to be a little bit more explicit than we used to. I think a lot of millennials say to me, there seems to be all these unwritten rules that nobody ever tells me. And then I get them wrong. So just <laughs> for thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And I think you're absolutely right that the, uh, and I don't disagree that the idea of, um, yes, if there's these unwritten rules that, that, are always followed. Yes, right. put them down. But this idea that we need 14 pages of a dress code versus, you know what, let's simplify it and let's really task people like managers, directors, the leaders to sort of say, this is what this means. And this is how you interpret what dress appropriately is. I mean, I remember horror walking into a Silicon Valley um, office of a law firm where I was manager of professional development. And they were used to dressing casual, of course, because it's Silicon Valley, but they'd had Japanese clients in. And I'm like, what are you doing? Looking like you rolled out of bed in your sweats because that's what they were dressed in. I mean, you know, that sort of dress appropriately in that case, in my mind would have been put on a goddamn suit. <laughs> 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 and Marty, I hear you and, in the and, background. And speaking on suits, I'm, I'm, my I'm suit is getting wrinkled. I'm, my suit is getting wrinkled in this chair. You know, I mean, that's... I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because it's like the one time a couple of Gen Xers, our tiny little generation, gets to like elbow out the boomer and, the, you know... DC, are you a millennial? What's going on? Like, I'm just uh, loving Generation Gen X, X. Kid, like, gets the microphone for once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm Gen X. He's a Gen 1974. X. 1974. Yeah. So back to this, back to this, how we dress and be explicit. You talk about it in the book, Lindsay. Is that well explaining why uh, are we doing this? Why are we dressing this way? And then you're giving them either explicit uh, instructions or or your your I think you call them guardrails. But explaining why you want people to dress this way has something to do with it, too, does it not? It does. And I, I think, Kelly, you brought up managers. I think the the magic tool for a manager is to use that word why. I, I talk about the words why, because, and thank you are just magical for managers. They work in every generation. If you're a millennial manager of older um, employees and you start to tell them, we're going to use this new software system and you say, here's why it's going to improve our work. Here's why it's going to help us with clients. It's a lot more appealing than saying, get with the program. We're using technology now. If yeah. you are a baby boomer boss with Gen Z and you want them to dress more professionally, you know, if you say, put on a suit, you know, it feels like you're yelling at them. If you say, we want our clients to know that we respect them, 
once you give that because or that why, people are so much more likely to go along. I'm noticing this at, at airports now. I, I travel a lot, as I'm sure both of you do. And there seems to be this trend of, of not saying your flight is delayed by six hours, but your flight is delayed by six hours because we have a mechanical issue and we're working on it to keep you safe. I'm going to be a lot more patient than if nothing is explained to me. So I, I think that that has always been a tool that good managers have used, but I think in an intergenerational environment, it's really the first tip that I give to young managers of older workers. I also think it's a really important for CEOs when they're setting policy from the top of an organization to really, really focus on the why of what they're doing. It's one of the, one of the tools that I think is really uh, intergenerational when so many others don't always apply across the age ranges. Thank you for that, because I'm just th sitting here thinking with the way I sort of approached my own career and, you know, whether it was generational or whether it was because of uh, economics at the time, you know, kind of recessionary times and you were just happy to have a job. You know, it was, it was our generation and earlier generations where we just happy to accept that's what the rule is and not push for the why or the because. I think a lot about that um, as a Gen Xer myself. You know, why didn't I question these things? Why didn't I ask for faster promotions? Why didn't I complain that I wasn't getting feedback? You know, as many millennials do, I would have wanted all those things. And I think it's a combination of factors. I think it's, you know, if you don't see something, sometimes you don't know it's possible. So I didn't know I could get more feedback. Now with social media, with so much reporting on Silicon Valley, I think that young people entering the workforce are just so much more aware of how other workplaces are. I, I just remember going to my first job at Working Woman Magazine and I didn't know what any other offices were like. Now it's so much more covered in the media. People are posting on LinkedIn and Instagram what's going on at their companies. So I think one is awareness. And second, I think is that this generation has really been brought up, meaning millennials and Gen Zs, have been brought up in an era where we just have so many more opportunities to give feedback in life. So on Facebook, you're liking things, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, there's like a sign out. Did you have a good experience in this bathroom? You know, smiley face or frowny face. I mean, I just feel like you're constantly being asked for feedback. So when you get into your first job and every minute and every experience in your life as a consumer, as a student, you know, ratemyprofessors.com has been about giving feedback. So I think as an employee, you expect that you're going to get the chance to say, I don't like that or, or treat me differently. So I think all of that really contributes to young people just really coming in. I talked about the assumptions or expectations you bring to the workplace. I think they expect that they're going to have that opportunity. And when they speak up, I think they ask for what all of us of previous generations would have wanted if we had even known that that was possible. It just sort of never occurred to us. I forget what the number is, but the rule, one of the rules is empathy. Right, Lindsay? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about there is just uh, be empathetic to everybody's background, everybody's be, be aware of it. And sometimes they need to hear that background. Like I, I'm fascinated when I see World War II veterans uh, go to high schools. And, and I've been there. I've, I've seen the audience, high schools and or college. They have their full attention. And, and so it's, it's interesting, you know, you're, you're empathetic to, to that other person. I think that's a really critical uh, rule. Absolutely. And, and I, I really talk about that a lot with millennial and Gen Z audiences. Um, natural curiosity 
for the way things used to be. I, I actually think sometimes older older employees kind of get it. You know, they have children or, or they see the world today. We all have cell phones. We all use social media. We get what kids are growing up with today, but I think we need to, to think more about the empathy. I really encourage younger employees to get really curious about the way work used to be. And Kelly, you mentioned the fax machine. Um, I heard an interesting story from a law firm partner who very similar to you, you know, spent so much of her life faxing contracts. And she said she really makes a point of telling the junior employees, the associates today about that experience. She said, yeah, it was boring to stand at the fax machine in the middle of the office faxing hundreds of pages. But she said, while I was standing there, I read every page of those contracts. So I learned a little something. She said, by standing there, I would sort of overhear people on the phone and conversations. And I think that kind of seeped into my knowledge of how people had difficult phone conversations, how they talked to clients, how they left messages on difficult topics. She said, by standing at the fax machine, occasionally a partner would walk by and he'd chit chat with me for five minutes. So it was a relationship building opportunity. So yes, it's faster to attach a PDF, but there was real value in the time it took to stand there and do that earlier activity. And and I've had some young people say, oh, I I never really thought about it that way. How do I make that time to have little interactions in the hallway? How do I make that time to overhear other people and the way they're engaging? It used to happen naturally. Now we have to kind of create those opportunities for apprenticeship that didn't happen before. So I think when you talk about those little details of work from the past, I think it's really interesting. You know, I I know a manager who also asks, um, he's Boomer, and he asks his junior employees to put a new app on his phone. And he says, show me how you use it, because I think I'm using this app differently than you are. I want to see how you navigate it. I want to see the kinds of things that you do. So that kind of experiential sharing, I think, is really critical for intergenerational understanding. Yeah, where do we find those times for personal reflection, but where do we find those water cooler moments that used to happen over, I want to say, some mundane tasks um, like like faxing? Um, Lindsay, I have so many more questions, so I'm going to ask you this question. Will you come back on the show so we can talk about, uh, you know, I'm going to say the the boomers who are working longer and, uh, you know, workplace structures that and leadership models that are still in place that we should be dismantling. I've got so much, much more. So will you come back, please? I will. Should I call you, email you, no, Instagram no. or text you about that? No. <laughs> could you, could you, well, you're on the Upper West Side and I'm in Midtown. So maybe oh, if I hang up my window, maybe you can send like a smoke signal. Let's go really old technology. Yeah, carrier pigeon. I love it. This is amazing. I have loved this conversation. Look forward to this interview getting out, reminding everyone uh, where they can find you, Lindsay. Thank you. The book is called The Remix. You can find it wherever you like to buy books, including Amazon and my website and social media are all my name, lindsaypollock.com. And we will have links in the show notes. Um, Congratulations on this new book. Thank you for being on the Business Builder Show and looking forward to continue this conversation in the future. Thank you both for having me. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Builder Show. To learn more about me and I'm Marty Wolf, go to Marty Wolf Business Solutions.com. That's Marty Wolf Business Solutions.com. To learn more about Kelly Hoey, go to her website, which is jkellyhoey.co. That's jkellyhoey.co. And of course, you can find Kelly and Marty on LinkedIn and Twitter. A reminder you can find all our Business Builders shows on iTunes, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app. 
bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf 